As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello and welcome to From the Rookery End, a Watford podcast brought to you by The Athletic. And we like bringing these podcasts, or we love bringing these podcasts when Watford win. And when they did, 3-2 at home to Stoke-on-Trent. Uh, it started off... I'll keep calling that, Mike. You may, you may laugh, but I will keep <laughs> calling him that. Is there, are there gunshots there, Michael? What's going on? There's uh, someone nearby is very, very happy that Watford have won. They're putting on an impromptu firework display. They're... Uh, <laughs> Uh, a cavalcade of colour going off uh, above the Vicarage Road end there, just to mark uh, a wonderful win for Watford. What, wonderful? I'm not sure. These blooming fireworks, by the way, they just, haven't just started after the game. They've been going off throughout the game, and each and every time they've nearly given me a heart attack. Um, <laughs> more so even than Watford's uh, early defending. So Mike was at the game, you got to see it, and so we'll find out the things that we might have missed on Hornet Hive, but... Massive round of applause for John Marks and Tommy Mooney for keep going in the circumstances they had to to try and keep broadcasting the, the commentary. It was a, an early goal for, for uh, Stoke. Well, basically, we were, we were outdone by a nice set play. Uh, maybe, or at least questionable goal for Watford. Did it cross the line or not? Apparently, the technology said it did. Uh, an honest penalty got Watford the 2-1 lead. Uh, Stoke have got a proper striker in their midst uh, with uh, Powell scoring the equaliser, but... The Ken and Ishii show finished it off uh, injury time, making it 3-2 to Watford. Mike, let's start, because this is a negative, and this is, your, this, is you, this is you ready for it. Was it really just Watford just hadn't woken up yet when, they, when Stoke scored that first goal? Yeah, one of, our, um, one of our number on the WhatsApp group, we won't name him for uh, fear of shaming him, but didn't realise that Watford had kicked off at 7. He thought it was 7.45. Yeah, it felt like Watford's defence uh, thought the same because they were caught absolutely cold by 
by Stoke, who did start pretty well. But um, uh, Etienne Capou sort of set the tone very early on with a with a slice clearance, went straight up in the air, and you heard him um, utter a swear word rather loudly, which sort of which uh, everyone sort of giggled at. But it did, uh, from a more serious point of view, it did effectively start that little run that, that led to, to, to Stoke scoring their, their opener. And uh, it was another mistake from Ben Wilmot, really, that, that gave away the corner. And then um, Stoke, it was far too easy for them to, to find Fletcher from the from the corner. And he had to turn home from, from a yard out. Very, very disappointing to start like that. And especially as we've talked sort of pretty much all season about this Watford side, that, that we've massive questions about us when we, when we go behind. So to, to fall behind so, so quickly, so avoidably really it was a new you know it was a neat move but Watford need to be better than that um at, at that stage of the game so to fall behind was was worrying disappointing um and yeah you did you did wonder where we were going to go from there well we we got a goal back Jason and but but let's not talk about the goal quite yet we'll get we'll ask Mike about that because he was again in the stadium at half time it was 1-1 do you think actually Watford did deserve the 1-1 because we didn't didn't like jump into life after their goal but we definitely became the, the stronger team in that first half. I think so. We certainly dominated possession, didn't we? And, and again, I, I kind of touched on this on Saturday. Is it the early goal that then dictates our pattern of play? Is, is, is that the reason we are then controlling the game because the opposition are sitting back and looking to hold on to what they've got, knowing that we're not really that threatening up front and hoping they can just see it out and hit us on the, on the counter? So, yeah, I think if you, if you look at the, the quality of the play... Perhaps it, it wasn't all there again. I thought Stoke were looking to nullify our, our quick crossfield balls. They they obviously done their homework and, and know that we tried to sort of hit these diagonals, particularly sort of from left back to Ishmael Asar, and and they sort of handled it reasonably well. I thought we were getting more men into the box. I, I thought perhaps we were trying harder in an attacking sense that way, whether the movement in the box when we were trying to put crosses in wasn't as good because again Stoke mopped that up but when the chance came we took it <laughs> sort of I want to counter Jason's point a little bit I thought we came alive after the goal but I was really disappointed with us up to up to the equaliser we had a little rousing um, the game really came to life as a whole after the after the equaliser but I was really disappointed with the way Wolford played that they bypassed midfield and as Jason said there that's they tend to do that with those diagonal balls try to get the the flanks into play but there really wasn't much play in, in midfield and it just looked very very one-dimensional from Watford and um, there was one particular moment when Kiko took a, a brilliant ball down on the on the right, put a lovely ball in, and there was no one there in the box. It was just incredibly frustrating that you know we we seemed to be uh, getting doing what we we're supposed to do, get wide, get the ball in, and no one attacking, and it, it felt really frustrating. And then from out of nowhere came the incident, and yeah, you said John, it was controversial, and it, it was because um, so cleverly um, rifled a, a really decent shot, caught it really super cleanly with his right foot hit the underside of the bar and span back out keeper caught it and then effectively ended up carrying the ball into the into the net courtesy of a collision with with Jao Pedro now there was a number of possibilities for for how that goal will have gone in a it crossed the line from from cleverly's initial shot B, the goalkeeper carried it over the line himself when he caught the ball and then turned round and sort of voluntarily sort of t carried it over the line. Or, or finally, which I think is what we settled on and is more likely, we haven't had any replays here at the, here at the ground to see it, but I think there was a collision with, with Pedro and it's that that took him over the line. Now, what happened was the referee very, very clearly looked at his watch 
so was looking for that that Hawkeye um, confirmation, and he very quickly got that after the. But it happened after the after the goalkeeper had carried it in. So I wonder. My initial thought was whether um, the referee was checking his Hawkeye um, watch to see if the cleverly chance had gone in. And by the time, that, while he was looking at it, Pedro effectively bundled the goalkeeper in. The ball's obviously crossed the line and then flashed up on his watch, giving the goal. No, Mike, that's, that's not possible. Little old Pedro, little old Pedro <laughs> pushing someone over the line. That's almost impossible, surely. But confusion reigned in, in the press box and yeah. the confusion reigned down by the touchline because then at that stage, the fourth official um, made his way to the, to, sort of, to the touchline. The referee came over to talk to him. Um, so they were obviously having a conflict about it. The Stoke, Stoke players and Stoke um, uh, coaching staff were getting increasingly irate because they were working on the basis that the, the goal had been given after Pedro had, um, had barged into the goalkeeper. So it all got very, very confusing. And, and to be honest, sort of five, ten minutes after the, after the final whistle, we're still not 100% sure. I'm certainly not 100% sure what happened. My best guess is that it was the collision with Pedro that took him over the line uh, and the ref... Um, has given the goal, the goal on the on the basis of that. It's um, to be perfectly frank. I think we've got away with one there. Is, is, that's my initial take on it. Like I say, we haven't seen the replay, but I think I think we we're lucky to get away with that one. To me, to me, it looked like the keeper carried it over the line as Pedro's coming in. I think he's turned because Pedro's coming in, and it to me it looked like that's where he's take, taking it over. Now, if we're using technology and using something like goal line technology, we're talking binaries here, aren't we? It's ones and zeros. So for me, shot, not gone in, keeper's collected it, he's turned, ball's gone over line before Pedro's collided with him. So before there's a foul, a goal has been scored. Therefore, that's ball's out of play, goal given. What Pedro does after doesn't impact the uh, the game. Seems a bit, uh, perhaps it's a bit of a... a, a um, false or technical way of looking at the game and if it happened the other way round we'd all be screaming blue murder but it's good enough for me I'm having the goal not at all not Jason I think I I don't think that's that's a wrong way to look at it at all the goalkeeper has the ball under his control and he's taking it under the over the line and if if that's what's happened then then the system has worked and I owe the referee and the the officials an an apology like I say I haven't seen it but I don't think we should be um, apologetic about it that that is a goal the ball has crossed the line the keeper's made a mistake from you know a decent effort from from cleverly so if that's what's transpired then I feel uh, a whole lot happier about it Um, and and what happens subsequently but yeah, bit of confusion. But I don't think we ought to feel um, if that's if that's how it's happened. Then 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 great. I, I and I hope it is because that would clear it up and that would um, that would just t- take that little bit of uh, uh, controversy out of it and we can uh, enjoy the win that little bit more. Because Jason, you know the, that was half time, one one. Second half starts. Nothing's really changed in terms of personnel at that point. But what was the attitude? Do you think? And how was that different, say, from Barnsley, even different from Wickham, from Watford? Well, it sounded different, didn't it? Um, John, I'm going to echo your uh, congratulations to uh, John Marks and Tommy Mooney for their commentary efforts. Now, I I hate listening to Watford on the radio, I'll be honest. I like to be able to watch the game and see what's going on. Um, I love listening to football on the radio, just not Watford games, because I get nervous. And uh, But I, I didn't feel sort of during that that sort of first i don't know 20 minutes or so i i maybe longer i i i wasn't feeling nervous because i didn't feel it didn't come across that stoke were 
really causing us any any trouble um and it seems like we had whilst the personnel weren't changed and perhaps the tactics weren't changed it felt like the performance we were getting from individuals was upped and it sounded like it was Ishmael Assar was the main protagonist when it came to that it sounded like we got a performance from him in the second half and it's it's so disappointing that we weren't able to see it and sort of judge it for ourselves but that's the impression I was getting from the commentary well, Michael, you were able to see it because you were at the game doing your duties for Opta. What was it like then? What was he like? Was, was it literally just the fact that he had an A game and everyone else around him was supporting him, was doing their thing? Was it literally, was he the difference between the last few games and, and us winning this game? Well, actually, you, you, there was a the TV blackout nationwide. There was no, no, no pictures here, so no one saw this. But what actually happened was I was brought on at halftime. And I was the, <laughs> I was the, it was me that was the catalyst for that, that improvement. No, um, it's, it, it was, we were much, much, much sharper. As soon as the, the second, second half kicked off, the tempo, the energy, the movement, the dynamism, Watford were moving forward with, with purpose. Everything that was missing for that first half an hour, all of a sudden uh, manifest itself I thought Ben Wilmot had a slightly shaky start to the game he really he really grew into the game in the second half he pinged a lovely crossfield pass um, to, to, to unlock the Stoke defence um, and Watford did look by far and away um, um, the, the much better side and, and, and Stoke didn't trouble us at all and, and, and yes I think Ismail Assar was, was very much the, the catalyst for that he had the he had the bit between his teeth um, he started moving around the pitch and, and, and nipping in and he saw, saw that pace which, which is Watford can't really really struggle to, to, to bring into games but he, he started asking questions of the Stoke defence he was over he was switching flanks um, and yeah he he was the in a it was quite a it's quite an odd game and it sort of probably fit, it probably fits Watford's mo for this season for much of it it was played not at walking pace but it was quite pedestrian there was wasn't much going on and as Jason said there you would have been no no wonder you felt confident and and, and relaxed really because there wasn't much happening but any quality that was on show really was stemming from, from Ishmael Asai. He, he just seemed to have flicked a switch in that second half. His touch was crisper, his movement was, was dynamic and, and, he, and he started to, to, to get his pace into the game and it was ultimately that that, that won him the penalty just after, after the hour mark. Was it just the fact that we were all threat but not really dangerous though until that penalty? No, I think the movement was better. Everything that we weren't doing in the first half, we were we were doing. I think um, Garner made a difference when it when he came on. I thought he buzzed around nicely in the in the sort of opposition half. We just didn't make enough enough. We didn't ask enough questions in the first half. We weren't organised enough. We weren't dynamic enough. We weren't quick enough. Um, we just weren't asking questions, and that all changed in the second half. And while the keeper didn't have to make loads of saves, we were we made life a lot lot more difficult for the for the Stoke back line. They had a lot more to worry about straight from the get-go in the uh, in the second half um, and it was just it looked like there was it was not just us but a lot of Watford supporters have bemoaned the lack of intensity the lack of imposing ourselves on on the game and you know we mentioned Wickham in particular that we shouldn't we shouldn't be letting them dictate we should be imposing and, and that's what we did at the start of this second half and it was it was good, and when and when Watford got that that penalty, I thought I thought they deserved it, and it came from a it came from a sloppy back pass from or a sloppy pass from Stoke. But that's what happens when you're up against um, against someone like Ismail Lassar who, who who just has quality and pace. There were substitutions, Jason. One of them was Andre Gray. The other one was James Garner. Andre 
Only played a couple of minutes on, on Saturday uh, against Barnsley. Didn't really get an opportunity to, to impose himself or show himself off you know, in the new Championship Watford side. How do those subs go, do you reckon? Firstly, I th- I'm pleased with the timings of the substitutions. Uh, it was what one. It was still one all when he decided to make the substitutions. And he's decided to make that with still half an hour left in the game, I think. I complained on Saturday about the... the about leaving substitutions too late. I think he's got the timings a bit a bit better tonight. I was interested that he still went through with the substitutions. He had a, a clear plan to take the or to bring these two guys on. We went to one up, went through the substitutions, taking the goal scorer off, Jao Pedro, and to give Andre Gray some more time. It sounds like perhaps we didn't utilize Andre uh, to his skill set again. It, it, from the commentary we were hearing that Andre was kind of a bit of a frustrated figure at times because we were still sort of persevering with the diagonals, getting the ball down the flanks, which is which is fair enough when you, you're playing wing-backs, you're going to do that. But if you've got a man who's playing against what sounded like a higher line where he's on the shoulder of the last defender and he's looking to sort of break through with his pace, it sounded like we weren't taking those opportunities when they were there and it would have been good to maybe see it mixed up a bit, maybe make ourselves a little bit less predictable as an attacking threat. Um, maybe that will come with time. Maybe we'll see that as Andre gets more more playing time. We've certainly got the players from the likes of Kapu that can that can play those balls through um, and we'll, we'll get to see Andre utilise more, not just in terms of minutes, but in terms of what he's capable of. He looked hungry. He was making the runs, and you're right. He did. He did look a bit frustrated on a on a number of times. The ball, you know, one of, you've seen Etienne Capoue slide those balls through the middle, haven't we? Before and a couple of times, Andre could have could have been away, and he and he did. There was a bit of a vocal disappointment from from him on a number of occasions. But I think that's that's what you want from your striker. You want them to to want the ball. You want them uh, to, to, to 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 want the ball to feet, and and that's absolutely what he did I thought he buzzed around he was waspish he looked aggressive and he was and he was um, yeah he's mixing it nicely and I think he is going to add something to Watford in the in the coming weeks certainly because obviously we've been thinking about it today we have been unlucky a little bit with uh, with our striking options haven't we Parizza who, who's looked good in the in the fleeting times he's been on suspended and then injured Troy and Andre Gray have both been been injured so it's nice to have him back today and I, I, I was I was pleased with his sort of aggression pleased that he was frustrated and I think Jason's right I think they will work on getting him into the game more and, and, and like Jay says again mixing it up a little bit and asking even more questions of, of an increasingly sort of um, beleaguered is the wrong word but th- but to give some more for, for the um, for the Stoke back line to, to worry about but I thought it was, there, were, there were encouraging signs there but um, Garner came on at the same time and I thought he helped as well it just it just helped us make with the momentum um, keep it up a little bit like I said we came out for the second half um, pretty good then there was a little bit of a lull then we got the penalty and and I think the change in personnel really helped um, Watford keep going and up until the the equaliser it was sort of walk in the park is the is the, is the wrong 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 way to describe it but exactly where Watford will have wanted to be they were able to to hold Stoke off at sort of arm's length Watford weren't threatening but but Stoke weren't either and it felt all the world like they were going to play out for uh, a 2-1 uh, a 2-1 win but uh, we all know that uh, that doesn't happen does it we don't do these things we don't do things the simple way here at Vicarage Road part of the onslaught let's call it that's why that's why I had in my head at least uh, of Watford trying to, to get the win um, was Big Ken 
Um, he has been a little bit uh, under the radar for the last couple of games, not quite getting into it, but he really got into that game, Mike, uh, and he was the, the force that got the, uh, the, the winner uh, along with Ismail Assar. I'm, I'm easily pleased, but I'll never not be mildly entertained by football players shouting, Ken! Ken! <laughs> Ken! There's one, one bit in particular, just before um, Stoke equalised, actually, um, Ben Wilmot was, was absolutely hollering at Ken! Ken! to get back into, into position, which incidentally shows a bit of uh, maturity and leadership from, from ben, ben Wilmot, which is, <laughs> which is good. But yeah, for the, so Ken Semmer's sort of skill, strength, um, and determination that, it, that, that, that got Watford to win in the end. He was sort of batting down on, the, on this left-hand flank, battling away, and he, and he managed to wriggle his way clear uh, and then along the, along the byline. Um, so he had to do really, really well to, to get himself any sort of space. And then he, he looked up and cut, cut a ball back, um, back to around the penalty spot where Ismail Assar took a, a great touch and, and composed himself and, and slotted it away. But there's no way Watford would have won that game without that. A good bit of determination, tenacity, composure and, and skill from, from Ken Semmer. And um, yeah, I think, like you say, John, he hasn't been quite as front and centre in, in recent weeks as he was earlier in the season. But that was a, a really telling contribution and uh, yeah, fitting way to, to win the game. Brilliant from Semmer and really, really composed from, from Saar, who deserved it from his performance. From the Rookery End, a podcast about life following Watford FC. Sean Murray, remember him? Yeah, that young little fella we all got excited about. We first met him on YouTube with some wonder goals uh, for the Watford youth team. Uh, and under Sean Dyche, at age only 17, he made his debut for the Hornets. Uh, that was 10 years ago. Yeah. You feel old. Since he left Watford, with his last game in 2015, he has been to Wigan, to Swindon, to Colchester, to Denmark. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Uh, and now finds himself at Dundalk uh, in Ireland. Adam Leventhal caught up with Sean uh, last week. Uh, there's an article on The Athletic. Of course, remember, you can get a cheap subscription by going to theathletic.com forward slash rookery end. It's a pound a week at the moment. Uh, and he spoke to Sean about his time at Watford and everything that's happened since. It was called on the phone, so it isn't the best quality, but it's still fantastic to hear from Sean. Adam spoke to uh, Sean last week to find out how he's been doing since Watford and what he remembers about the time when he was a, a wee nipper of a teenager. At that age, I, was, I think I was 18 then, and I was just enjoying it. It was just, I wasn't given any information, just go out and play. So that's kind of what I did and, and loved it. Even after that, I had a few good spells in, in the team. Even when the Potsos were here under Zola, yeah. 
under Beppe Sanino. I had a couple of good runs in the team. There was a lot of managers in and out. It was it's always hard, like for any player, if if a load of new managers are coming in and you've got to impress again. So at some point, you're always going to be out of favour, and then and then it's hard to get back in. It was a tough time when they came in, but I still I still enjoyed every minute of it. Me and new players coming in from all over the world, learning off them, learning from different coaches. So it's invaluable, like the lessons I learned. I think that's helped me further on in my career now. Especially with a new coach coming in, I know how to to deal with it. And then he loved having me here and working for him. So that helped me, especially for this season. How do you look back on on your on your time overall? When you th- when you when you hear the word Watford, what emotions does it conjure up? It makes me happy just because it is my local team, and I was there for such a long time as well. Like I think with everything, everything has to come to an end. The years I had there, they were brilliant, all of them really. For me, anyway, when I left, it was probably time I wanted to leave as well. And and try new things even though it's probably some of the things haven't been great and for other reasons I've had a lot of injuries actually since I've left Watford as well so yeah there's been some great experiences after as well which I've held quite dearly so it's been good How would you describe you as a player if you had to critically analyse what you do now in comparison to what people knew you for before at you know at any club at Watford at wherever Swindon or Colchester or Wigan who how have you evolved personally I play I play a lot higher up the pitch now so and you'd probably say I'm an out and out 10 now which before I was more of an eight or a sometime in my early career I played on the left wing uh, for Watford but now I'd say I'm a number 10 and I don't know I just I, uh, I think I've got a bit more smart with my runs into the box and and runs down the channels to, to help the defenders with an outlet and it's it's been successful for the last month or so yeah I'd say I'm more of an out and out out and out ten, number 10 now rather than a central midfielder or number 8 I think that's changed massively obviously I've loved it over here ever since I've joined um, I played quite a lot of games last last season even mm. though I was injured yeah I think this season I've, I've loved every minute of it even though it's been a strange year for everyone yeah it is kind of a, a chance for me to say I'm still here I'm still still playing and I've, I've noticed it a lot of, as well a lot of Watford fans just writing on Twitter and stuff like mm. that, that, that I'm, like Sean Murray's playing in the Europa League he's scoring brilliant to see a, a Watford player do that so that's kind of nice to know that uh, yeah, they could still speak about me after after I've gone and, and I'm still doing well because I think it's, well, it's been 10 years since I got my debut for Watford so mm. it's, it's been a long time Do you think about maybe one day coming back over here or is it is it just more about the here and now rather than the future? Personally, I'm planning to try and stay with Dundalk as, as long as possible. I think I've been places and earned a lot of money and earned little money, and then this is where this is where I'm happy. So uh, I don't think it's all important where I play for now. I'm, I'm still ambitious, of course, but I think I'd rather just be happy. And my my girlfriend here's got a kid, and he's changing school, so there's lots of things you've got to think about as well. Not just not just yourself now. So I think that's just part of growing up. <laughs> so catching up with him, Adam, was it? You know, it's been a while. Lots of players move on. We're used to that. You've met lots of players in your your work at the Athletic and and doing tales from the vicarage who've left Watford, but they're much older. And he he certainly felt very wise, didn't he? It was it was interesting. Just in the interview, it dawned on me. I was like, you've been around for beep ever, and you know you're still only. 27 years old and and it, it's it's strange to think that it was 10 years ago that he made his debut for Watford and he's been through a lot and I think that that's you know that comes through from the piece 
you know, as you heard there, that he's in a he's in a happy place at the moment. And I think that's really important for him. So it was great to catch up with him. And just a little insight into finally managed to get in touch with him. I was actually going to go and speak to him when I went over almost a year ago to Belfast to interview Albert McLenaghan. And we'd booked to to also speak to him then, but it, it sort of it fell by the wayside. But then it actually worked out quite nicely that I caught up with him um, as he was preparing to then go and play against Arsenal in you know in the big game uh, last week. Although it didn't go to plan, it was good that he had forty five minutes, and you know it was just a, a moment for him, as you heard there, to sort of put him put himself back on the radar. But yeah, I think you're absolutely right. He's 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 ten years older and and wiser. I think he's more than 10 years wiser because we spoke to him, Mike, at the end of our second season of this podcast, so the, the Dice season, and we had chat to him. It was in the Amex, the depths of the Amex after Watford drew 2-2 uh, against Brighton. And he was a classic young player. He was still going to college one uh, two days a week, I think, at that point. You know, he was doing a, an MVQ. And, and, you know, it was great that he was in the first team and he was loving it. But he'd come through the academy. Yeah, he was going to be... He was the big hope, wasn't he? It was almost like he had to be the great hope because if you th- you mentioned if we interviewed and we interviewed a number of players around that that year, the, the first couple of years of the podcast, didn't we? People like Tommy Hoban, uh, Lee Hodson, uh, Scott Loach, who were all all youngsters at at the time who'd who'd come through, and we were having to rely on them, weren't we? I think the one thing that really did shock me talking about timings was that how recently he actually played for Watford. In my head, I thought he'd left pre Pozzo era, but of course he played for two seasons while the Pozzos were in charge so that that was interesting that sort of jolted the memory but yeah it it just speaks of a different time doesn't it it's great to hear Mm. that he is so fond of his time as Watford but it does transport you back he sort of talked about Sean Dyche almost taking a chance on him wasn't it by by playing him and then he 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 went on and played a, a number of games but we talk quite fondly of those times, those youngsters coming through, but it, and we like to sort of, we perhaps look at it through slightly rose-tinted spectacles in as much as the academy was producing. And, you know, the famous, he's one of our own chant that, 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 that Sean Murray attracted. But really, it was because we had to, wasn't it? We didn't have any other, anyone else. We were having to rely on, on the youngsters. So hearing from him does transport you right back to a very, very different time as a Watford sport, doesn't it? Adam, you know, we, we mentioned and I said I, I saw the, the article and there's a picture of him wearing the, the black top, the, the Watford home shirt with the black top half. Um, and that was the, the end of the Zola Beppe Sanino season. And I, I forgot how much he played that season. But do you think maybe what was it that sort of made his Watford career not sort of continue or him to be part, even be part of Watford? Was it the fact that Watford got to the Premier League too quickly? I think he was sort of in the... <laughs> He was in the wrong place at the at the wrong time, really, wasn't he? Breaking through into the side when when that massive influx of of players was was coming in in that 2012-13 season, obviously the first season of of the Potsos. He did play, you know, a fair amount of games that season. He played 15 games in the in the league, and although he acknowledges the fact that you know looking back now, that was actually a really good experience for him. At the time, I would have thought it was it was pretty frustrating, even though he was getting you know a game here and there. But that second season, yeah, the 2013-14 season, which was sort of the difficult difficult second album, wasn't it? It was you know Zola departing and then Sonino careering into the into the football club. He played a lot of games, 34 games in the league. It was the most that he'd played 
uh, over the entire season. He played 39 in all. He scored six goals and that was sort of matching his um, his goal return for when he actually first broke through into the side under, under Sean Dyche. You know, the fact that he didn't stay was that he got a really nasty injury, a, a knee ligament injury in the January of um, 2015. You know, whilst it was finally clicking on the pitch for the rest of the team. He was sitting there watching it whilst, you know, Slavisa was was leading us up into the Premier League. And then once the, the transition had been made from Championship to Premier League, it was going to be even more difficult for him to, to get into the side, I think, because there had been obviously a change of, of head coach with Kike Mark One coming in and they were planning for the Premier League. And, and you're out of sight and you're you're out of mind, really. And And when he came back in that summer, he was out, you know, and going out on loan. And that was the, the the beginning of the end. So, he, you know, he last played for the club in January of 2015. So I think it was a difficult time. And he said that that was, that was probably, you know, mentally for him, uh, mm. the most challenging time that he'd had. Although, you know, latterly, and it's discussed in the piece, his, his, his spell out in, in Denmark, that was also pretty testing. But at least then that testing moment bridged a gap to, to getting back to a place in Dundalk now where he's where he's really happy what I thought was really interesting from both the piece and that that little bit of audio we heard there was his like he speaks so eloquently and articulately it was really nice to hear from him but he he gets across in a in quite a human form what it's actually like to play under so many different managers and to have that relatively Mm. high turnover and because he did experience that didn't he and just talking about how hard it is to to re-impress, if what a terrible way of explaining. It. I just say, Sean Murray is much more articulate than me, so maybe he should come on the podcast. <laughs> but having to having to go in front of the manager and persuade him to be in in his plans again and again and again, and then when you add on to that the injury side of things, so knowing that a you've got to race back from fitness and you've got to prove yourself again to to a different man, and then will you have to do it again in in the coming months I, I don't know why because we've probably always worked on the, the basis that that's going to be the case and understood that that's difficult but hearing from a, a sort of a young man who we have sort of seen develop into a man really it really yeah. sort of brought home just how difficult life as a, a footballer can can be and you know we we tend to sit there you know when we started the podcast we were 10 years younger probably less responsibilities than we have now and you sit there watching Watford and we travel the country drinking beer and and, and cheering them on and you think oh that's the life isn't it a, a, of a professional footballer what you know cheering on lads half our age they've got it easy haven't they when actually it's he didn't want us to feel sorry for him but, but he just described it I thought rather well just and it was quite a nice insight into what life is actually like as a as a young professional football trying to make their their way at Watford at that time. I thought it was really illuminating and, and really interesting. He mentions in the piece as well, in terms of how your career path can be impacted by, obviously, injury, as we've discussed, but, you know, different managers coming in. Yes, there was there was lots at Watford. But then, and this this has a Watford connection, that when he went to Swindon, Tim Sherwood pitched up as, as a new director of football and he was out of favour. So he had to leave Swindon and then, you know, a, a positive Watford connection of Ian Moody. He used to be the operations manager at, at Watford. He called him and then he got him in at Colchester and he actually really enjoyed his time at Colchester, partly because of the fact that he was also playing with Lloyd Doyley as well, which was which was a nice link. Mm. Um, but then going back to the fact that, you know, these experiences of having lots of different coaches and in particular having two Italian coaches in, in Gianfranco Zola and Beppe Sanino, 
you know, weirdly, an Italian manager pitched up at Dundalk. He'd never had any first team training experience before in Filippo Giovanioli, who then led them into the Europa League where he's playing now. And he thought, if I'd been like any of my teammates, all these really intense sessions, you know, double sessions morning and evening and, you know, all these sort of different approaches to training, which his teammates in Dundalk weren't used to. If he'd been like them, like them, it would have been a shock. But he'd seen it and done it at Watford under under Zola and Sanino. So it's actually quite nice that it's gone full circle. And now he's, you know, he's 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 one of the experienced guys rather than being the, the kid that was pitched into this difficult scenario under the Pozzos. Because Mike, the, the, the last recent fans forum, you know, Scott said, you know, they were going to readdress the the development factor in the first team and the opportunities that they were given. But it, it, I suppose, we, does it feel like we're going to get opportunities or players like Sean who've come through the system rather than just being young players? That, do you really think they're going to get the chance? And, and, and but is it something you really, really, really want to have as, as what for fan? I think you want a balance, don't you? I said, I said earlier that I think we, we had to use too many um, young players, um, you know, 10 years ago as it, as it was now. I think we, there was just too many, too much reliance on, on youth because we, there weren't the finances to bring in more experience. And I think increasingly, um, you know, with football fans feeling distanced from, from their clubs for, for obvious reasons, you need that link. I think people do need a link. Uh, with their with their club and you know here Sean Murray he's talking about how he's local and he speaks very fondly of Watford and the, the thought of them makes him smile he's a local lad who came good for his for his local team and as a supporter that, that can't help make but make you feel warm and and fuzzy and happy inside you're going to root harder for someone like Sean Murray than you are perhaps that someone's been brought in from from somewhere else and I think that's just the way football is it's very it still is has its roots in community that's you know most people who support Watford have some local link um and and I think that is important for for Watford supporters but you do have to balance that obviously with you know for, when, when we're not talking about Sean Murray we're talking about a, a football team that we want to get promoted back to the to the Premier League and we know the landscape is immeasurably different up there than it than it is in the championship and certainly than it was to to the sort of uh, sort of situation Watford were in when Sean Murray broke through 10 years ago but on that note they can they can develop players as well and 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 they can feed into the the financial stability of the the club i thought it was a very interesting line in the piece that that, that adam mentioned that there was a there was premier league interest around sean murray because he caught the eye didn't he 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 we called them uh, what were they called typical sean sean vintage murray, murray. Vintage, vintage murray we used to call them yeah from outside the box be, yeah 30 to 40 50 probably be 60 uh, 60 yards out 80, that easy. <laughs> full and by the time he retired but there was premier league League interest around him. He, it was obvious to see why he why he caught the eye. We'd lost Jaden Sancho, and and I do wonder whether Watford felt a little bit sort of once bitten twice shy with 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 Sean Murray, or whether they felt like he was he was more of a prospect than Jaden Sancho. Who knows? But 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 both. But both are a tale, aren't they? There's there's interest in them both. One's gone one way, one's gone the other. Um, but they both, whichever way they go, they have a have a role to play. If they end up like Sean Murray and we end up talking about them in ten years, pretty fondly, then that's not a bad thing from a from a, a football supporter's point of view, is it? Whereas if they go down the other route and they and we actually manage to sell them for proper money, which unfortunately we weren't able to do with with Jaden Sancho, but they they feed into the um, financial stability of the club, then that's also good as well. So I think it's I think it's a sensible route to go down for for a number of reasons. How realistic it is when when um, success is required very very quickly 
is is still open to to debate. But we'll we'll see in the in the coming months and years uh, how how they manage to to tread that tightrope. See, Adam, the thing that really sort of I was most proud of, maybe of my son. No, not really. But you know what I mean of, of him was the fact that his attitude. Basically, do you think do you think a lot of footballers out there, especially in this situation we're in, could learn quite a lot from how Sean is judging his success? I think it's an interesting one because he is obviously very content at the moment, and he's he's very um, happy on the pitch and off the pitch. He goes into you know. He talks about it in in the clip that we played about his his personal life, um, and that is bringing out the best football that he's he's played in quite some time. I suppose if you if you put the spin on it that at the moment that is probably the most important thing because you know although he's he's been playing in the Europa League and he's you know been playing in Europe and playing at the Emirates Stadium and things like that. It doesn't really mean as much, does it, at the moment? He scored a goal in the, you know, in the first game of the Europa League against Mulder, and he said, yeah, it just felt pretty much the same as any other goal because there's no fans there. And then, you know, when you when you put it in the context of, um, you know, players now, other players, not not himself, looking at moves to other clubs. Yes, it's going to be financial. It's also going to have contractual elements to it, whereby they want to secure their future for four or five years if they've only got one year left on on a contract but often you do wonder whether the actual reality comes into the the thought process at times because you're almost just you're swapping one essentially soulless experience of playing football in an empty stadium for another one and sometimes you're just better off sticking where you are I would have thought and you know maybe that even came into the thought process of Troy Deeney over over you know the last couple of months or so when he was considering moving away from the club you know it's almost better the devil you know sometimes and the most important thing and this was highlighted for for Sean Murray and I think it's as you alluded to there it's the most rewarding thing is that you know he's found this nice happy medium now where he's enjoying his football on you know on the field and the surroundings in Dundalk with good teammates. And I think that means a lot. And yeah, I suppose that, that could be a lesson for um, some footballers. Maybe stick stick where you are, where you know that you're going to be in a, in a good situation with, with solid foundations. So yeah, and that goes out to all of our good players. Just stick where you are for, for the time <laughs> being, if, if you don't mind. Will Hughes in particular. Part of the Athletic Podcast Network. This is from the Rookery End. Jason... Coventry City. I've had a bit of a soft swap for Coventry City. We're playing them on the weekend, as you know. Uh, one, because they were the first FA Cup final I truly remember, where they beat uh, Tottenham Hotspur. But then also, I think actually my first away trip with the Junior Hornets was to the old Highfield Road. Highfield Road? Yeah, to, to the old Highfield Road. And I also remember a very good trip to the, uh, what's it called? Re- to the Rico uh, when we got relegated and we won about 15, no, it's 4 0. Um, under A.D. Boothroyd. Uh, You've you got to think we've got a little bit of momentum. We've definitely got a really good positive to take forward. Um, and it, the, the most important thing is that we sort of keep that going, isn't it? Is it simple as yeah, that? Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, you'd like to think so, wouldn't you? It's a, We know the championship is a complex beast and cliche warning coming up. Anyone could beat anyone on their day, as Coventry proved themselves last week when they beat uh, Leaders Reading. Um but they haven't had the best of starts to the season. We're at home again, if that if that is an advantage in the current situation. But you'd like to think we'd uh, 
would be able to give them a, give them a game. What we can't be is complacent. We can't start like we did tonight and give away stupid goals. We know that teams will have seen how we play. They'll have done their homework like Stoke have done. They'll know that we struggle at set pieces um, and they'll obviously be looking to utilise those and, and sort of cause a threat there. Uh, but we should, again, we should be winning these games. We look at the squad we've got. We said right at the very start of the season that, that could we have, could we use the, the churn in the squad uh, as a reason if we did get off to a bad start, if we did put in poor performances. At that point, I said no, that would seem like an excuse and that still holds true for me. We talked about a few weeks ago when the transfer deadline passed about the season starts now. It hasn't quite. Perhaps tonight is a watershed moment. We've it's been a difficult game. We said it was going to be the toughest game out of this little run before the international break, but we've come away with a a, a late victory. We've managed to sort of turn things around right at the death and got the three points. So now let's use this as as the base. Let's let's get going. Let's take that into Saturday and come away with a good win against Coventry. The fact that this is going into it's the last game before the international break and there's lots to be done still. Do you think there's a job that has to be done this weekend where Watford do give Andre Gray or somebody else a good hour on that pitch? No, I don't think so. I think what they, what this what this team, this squad needs to do is to carry on working towards that identity. You know, I've I've urged Watford supporters to be patient about and and, and give Vladimirovic the chance to get this side playing in his image, playing the way he wants. I think what we saw in the second half was much closer to, to that than than the first half and, and by the sounds of things at Barnsley and, and certainly against Wickham. So we need the second half Watford and more of that to carry on. And I don't think that's about individual players. I think that's about the squad coming together buying into it and 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 carrying out the, the plans that are in place and that's whether that's defensively not switching off in the first 90 seconds whether that's being more dominant and imposing in midfield or whether it's being more hard-working and, and and clinical in the final third this is a decent squad we don't need to talk about the the, the lack of a left-footed uh, defender everyone knows that that's an issue but this is a deep squad with with talent all over the place and they just need to keep going we need to see the dynamic Watford we saw in the second half here it was that there was more movement there was noise. The substitutes were were cheering them on and, and clapping. Lots of, uh, of of noise from Troy Dean. You won't be surprised to hear on the on the touchline. It was a it was a different Watford in this second half, and that is the Watford that we absolutely must see more often. And yet, I think. Andre Gray is going to be important for, for Watford going going forward. It's, he's, he'll be desperate to get his career back on track. It's been a rough old time for him. You know, he, um, we've been. Well, I was very harsh on him in the po- on the podcast last last year after the uh, the issues during lockdown and so on and so forth. So he'll he'll feel like he's got something to something to prove. So I hope he can come in and uh, and mistake a claim for for a starting berth and score some goals. But ultimately, I just want this team to be more consistently better because I think they can do it. And I think Vladimirovic is a good coach with a good, a good group of players. They just need to translate what they're working on onto the pitch more often and in, in a more sustained basis. Um, so I think it was baby steps today. They've probably got away with one in as much as the, uh, we'll wait and see what, the, what, the, what happened with that first goal. But they've managed to get themselves back into it. That little bit of extra quality has, um, has got them the, the winner right at the death there. But they, they have, to, they have to, to translate this into momentum. And that means winning 
against Coventry. No ifs, no buts. We have to get some momentum. We've had, you know, this week, if you, if you look at the last, if you look at that little clutch of game, the disappointing games, late, late equaliser against Bournemouth, uh, draw, disappointing draw against Wickham, and a, and a disappointing defeat against Barnsley. Two points. We could have, we could have had seven points. We could have held on and should have held on against Bournemouth. Glenn Murray had a chance to win it at death against Wickham. Um, ben Wilmot had a decent chance with a header against the bar against Barnsley. I'm not saying we deserved to get seven points from that little clutch of games, but that's how close football is. That's tight. And I think at the end of it, we were all feeling a little bit deflated, weren't we? And we needed tonight as a bit of a fillet. But I, I think we just need to never too high, never too low is, 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 is a phrase that we've used a lot on the podcast and gets used a lot around here. And I think we need to remember that. And that last week was disappointing, but it wasn't the end of the world that perhaps it might have, have felt like we just need to be a bit better and we will have much better results if, if that makes sense it's a funny old game tonight but I think Watford probably will be happy with with portions of it the fact that it was not memorable for for large sways is good for Watford because it means they're in charge but they've got to cut out the diff- they've got to cut out the mistakes be more dynamic more second half Watford please Let's see what happens when the Sky Blues visit Vicarage Road on Saturday. Thank you very much, Michael. You're more than welcome. Come on, you horns. Cheers, Jace. Cheers to you. Oh, and Mike, have we figured out who gave you the lift yet? No, absolutely not. Good reaction to that. I'm glad people seem to enjoy that, that tale. Mum and Dad weren't um, overly pleased about being reminded about that, uh, that fateful Tuesday night. Uh, but no, nothing yet. So uh, please, if anyone can remember who it was, um, I saw someone tagged... Um, uh, Charlie Coulton from the ticket office um, in on Facebook so uh, maybe Charlie can remember it I, I, I doubt it I'm not that memorable as a, as a spotty 16 year old but if anyone's got any leads or, any, or got any ideas of how we can track down my Barnsley benefactor um, please do uh, do let us know that's from the Rooker End get in touch at Watford Podcast on social medias uh, Twitter Facebook and Instagram uh, and uh, we'll be back with another podcast do tell your friends that you can get us wherever you normally get a podcast Come on, you boys!